Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, like birds, insects migrate, sometimes great distances, but scientists have long puzzled about how they make these trips. For instance, the terrifyingly named Death's Head Hawks Moth travels from Africa to Europe every year. So a group of entomologists decided to track the moths by placing tiny radio transmitters on their backs. Miles, uh, Miles Menz from James Cook University joins us now. Afternoon, Miles. Oh, good afternoon to you. Uh, I, ass- I assume there are thousands of different of sorts of uh, migratory insects. Why did you choose these particular moths? Yeah, so there are really loads of insects that do migrate. These moths in particular became quite a good study system because well, we know they migrate, but we don't know much about their migration. But also the other thing that's really useful is that they're very large. And so we can actually fit transmitters to them. So they're large enough to actually be able to carry the extra weight. Right. And and so you you knew they, they'd been spotted in a certain part of the world in Africa and then they'd pop up in Europe. But you kind of didn't know the middle bit, I suppose. Would that be fair enough? Yeah. And so the, the, the African-Europe migration system is really unclear in this case. And so we know the species occurs in, in sub-Saharan Africa year round. And we know the species does occur as a migrant in Europe, at least sort of up to north of the Alps. Um, but we don't actually know if or how there might be any connectivity between those populations. Um, maybe there's some separation. Maybe they do go as far as into Africa. Um, but we do know at least that the European migration does tend to follow a form where they move up into Europe, or at least from North Africa or, say, the Mediterranean, probably uh, in the spring, in the, in the summer. And then caterpillars tend to be found around August, September, and then the adults emerge and the moths then turn around and migrate back. Okay. And so, as, as you said, the, the, the death's head hawk moth, uh, hawk moth, which is kind of scary sounding title, uh, how big are they in that you were able to put transmitters on them? Yeah, they're really, really quite large, actually, from an insect perspective. Um, largest females will weigh three to maybe three and a half grams, and they're probably up to around 10 centimetres long. So they're really quite a large animal. Okay. And how do you put the transmitter on them? So we just fix it with a bit of glue, basically. You can use a bit of super glue or another adhesive. Okay. And it's just glued um, onto the back, sort of between the wings. Okay. And when you were finished the study, were you able to find them and take them off again? Or or was that really a worry? Um, We weren't usually able to necessarily relocate them off actually on the ground. But um, from what we have seen, sometimes the transmitters do just drop off themselves. Okay. So that might have happened in some cases. Okay, so much for superglue uh, then. And so in, in terms of tracking them, uh, d- did you have to follow them in a plane uh, to be able to get a good yeah, signal? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so I mean, this sort of tracking, this is, this is radio telemetry, and this is something that's been used for, for decades on birds and other animals. Um, basically, the transmitters just emit uh, a VHF radio signal, and we can tune into that frequency and follow the animals. It's that only in the past probably 10 years or so that the tags have become small enough to be fitted to really large insects. And in this case as well, we could fit them on these large insects and follow them around. But the best way to do this was actually with a light aircraft because Mm. it gave us quite a different perspective than we might get from the ground. So instead of, say, following them around in a car or on foot, we were able to actually fly with the insects. And presumably they were flying a long distance anyway. Yeah, they were. And so we, we tracked them 
for about up to about 90 kilometers in a night and then in some cases we were able to actually relocate the animal on the following day to a distance of about 150 kilometers and then they're probably traveling much further than that as well on their journey. Yeah now as I understand it it had been assumed that when insects migrated you know it, it was to do with the wind but your findings seem to be that that wasn't the case. Yeah, so they certainly do use favourable winds when they can. We see they tend to respond to winds a little bit like um, we might see with, with some migratory birds. And so if there's a favourable wind, so a tailwind blowing them in the direction they want to go, they'll often fly with that or fly up high enough to be able to take advantage of those winds. But the more surprising thing that we found is that for these insects, when the winds weren't favourable, so when they had crosswinds or headwinds, more unpredictable conditions, that they'd actually tend to fly quite low to the ground and basically just punch directly into the wind. Mm. And so at all times, were they more or less flying in a straight line? Yeah, they were really able to, to keep these very straight headings, so make a beeline effectively, but doing it across very long distances. And that really surprised us as well, because these these very straight line migratory tracks are something that's that's not really seen that common that are seen that commonly in migratory animals at all. Yeah, and how how long would they fly for at each period of time, if you know what I mean? Would they would because presumably they'd have to rest and you know uh, have a sandwich or yeah, something. Yeah, so most of for most of the time that we could track them was up to about four hours um, in a night, and then usually at the end of that we needed to turn the plane around and and put it back down. And they probably continued on for a bit longer than that before they sat down. Mm. Uh, and then they would sit down for a period of, would they kind of settle down for the night and then fly the next day or would they tend to move at night? Yeah, they, they tend to move at night. And so they'd settle down. So we'd be tracking them through the night and then they'd settle down for the day and then move again, on probably most likely on the following night. And when they're moving from Africa to Europe or vice versa, are they going to the same places in those continents? Well, that's interesting. We really don't know, actually. Um, there's a lot we don't know about insect migration in general. Um, compared to birds and other animals, insect migration is, is really not that well studied. There's a few very classic examples, um, like the monarch butterflies in the US or the painted ladies and the red admirals in, in Europe that are reasonably well studied. But for a lot of these other species, we really don't know too much. What's interesting with insect migrants well one of the interesting things uh, is compared to birds is usually the same individual won't make both parts of the journey so they won't fly down and then return it's likely that in and it's seen in many cases that there's actually a multiple generation cycle and so these animals that are flying from europe say down towards the mediterranean or north africa are likely to then lay eggs and then it'll be the next generation that makes the return trip mm. but we don't actually really know where it is that they're going or what the tendency is to come back to similar locations yeah given though that they're going in a straight line it would seem to imply they know where they're going uh, d d does this study give any clues as to how they navigate yeah, it, it has given us some ideas and so there seems to be this certainly an inbuilt direction that they're following um it's not a behaviour that's learned, so they're they're naive. This will be this is the first time they're doing the journey. They, you know, matured from caterpillars to adults, and then they migrate, and they won't do it again the following year. So there is a heading that they're following, but in order to really 
maintain these straight lines. They're probably using quite a sophisticated compass mechanism. And we think that based on some other studies from moths is that they're likely using a mix of a magnetic compass, so being able to sense the Earth's magnetic field, but also probably uh, a visual cues. So they might be flying so towards a mountain top or a valley um, or an alpine pass. That's extraordinary, though, that the next generation would know to head to that valley or, the, or, or that pass. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's this really strong, um, determined compass direction that they seem to have, and they they just will instinctively fly towards this. And they're using these various cues to actually navigate towards that and actually able to keep these very straight tracks, even in quite um, disruptive conditions, so say headwinds or crosswinds. Mm. So they're not not—they're really not just kind of getting blown in a direction. They actually have a direction they want to go and they're actively going in that direction. Miles Menz is an entomologist at James Cook University in Australia. Miles, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.